it was surreal coming into the the velodrome and doing my lap and a half and like my parents are there like everybody is still there like it was um it was pretty amazing and I didn't even know I was at a time limit when I came into the velodrome like I was just like oh my god like you know I crashed but like I finished I finished through bay Welcome back to the Turning Ed podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Newkirk, and thanks for joining me. If you are new to the podcast, the mission here is to explore the question, what does it take to unlock our highest potential as athletes? I've asked a wide range of guests to join me to discuss different topics from a range of sports to help us explore this and find our edge in sport and training. So super excited for this next guest and next conversation. Today I have with me Tanner Putt, who is a big bit of a legend within the American road racing community. Tanner has been a professional road racer since 2012 uh, with teams such as BMC, Hincapie, uh, Bontrager, um, which was then transitioned into Bissell and which is known now as Action, um, United Healthcare Pro Continental Team after that, and then with this past year, um, Arapahoe Hincapie presented by BMC. Um, just to throw out a couple of his results over the years, Tanner has won U23 National Stars and Stripes twice in 2013 and 2014. He has gotten ninth at U23 Liège. Um, who, he has also won stages of races such as Tour de Maroc and Tour of Alberta, podiumed at a few stages of Harold Sun Tour. He has competed in a couple classics, including the Paris Roubaix in 2015. Um, he also got 11th at Dwarves. Door West of Landerin. I'm going to mess that one up a little bit. In 2018, and he has represented the U.S. at Worlds and gotten 13th in U23 Worlds in 2014. I asked Tanner to join me today to take a deep dive into the world of European racing and what it takes for Americans to master racing over there. Um, then finally, I'd also like to jump into if European racing is the only route to the top tier of the sport for America. Um, and how to take that on. Um, so we're sitting at my kitchen table um, here in Niwak, Colorado, and having a little bit of a brew. Tanner, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Isaiah. Thanks for having me. All right, to get started, um, you know, the reason I chose this topic um, is because I think the more and more in today's road racing scene in particular, it's important for Americans to be able to go to other locations and race in a variety of environments. And the races here don't necessarily prep us well for that within road racing, I would say. Would you agree with that? Um, I mean, it's a diff different style of racing here than it is in Europe. Um, Fitness-wise, I mean, you can you can find some of the world's hardest races in, in America. Hmm. Um, it's more just, I would say, the, the technical um, aspect of Europe um, is a big step up from from the u.s and the level is just higher you, you know you go to like a point two here and it's totally different from a point two and in, in europe you have a lot yeah. more teams that have you know been around longer and have more experience and um they just know the roads and it's a bit more technical yeah yeah for sure um that's interesting you said that so we'll dive a little bit deeper into that um basically what i'm hoping to get from this is um, to shed a light on how to best take on european racing and then um, maybe hopefully help out some juniors or aspiring pros that are trying to take that on 
Um, so to go back a little bit in time, let's touch on when was the first time you did a European block? Um, and I guess just in general raced out of the United States. Um, first time I did, um, a European block, I was senior in high school, um, just turned 18 years old. Um, got, you know, real lucky, got a chance to go over there and, um, race with the national team. And I was just thrown into the deep end. I started out with a couple of promises in Belgium. Um, I'd honestly, the only, the only actual race that I'd done with a caravan was that tour of the in Canada the year before. Um, and so then getting thrown into, you know, racing in Europe, started out with some cremesses and then did a couple, uh, nation's cup junior races, um, in the Czech Republic and in Holland. And I was, I was thrown into the deep end. I didn't finish. Um, I don't think I finished a single race actually. And I was there for a month and I crashed a bunch. I ended up getting sick and I didn't think I'd ever race in Europe again when I went home. I thought that was, you know, I was like, wow, this is awesome. I got to, you know, say I race with like the national team, but this is probably the end of the road for me. (laughs) All right. I mean, so were you just like, when you got home, were you just destroyed? Did you want to go back or would you just kind of like, no, I can't do that again. I don't want to do that again. I'd say when I was in Europe, um, like the last week I was pretty like mentally destroyed and I was just like, I'm not cut out for this. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I was physically wrecked. Um, I was sick. I was tired mentally, just, you know, not in a great headspace. When I got back, you know, after like a week or so off the bike, um, I kind of got that motivation back and I was like, you know what? Like that wasn't that bad. Like, you know, there's some things I can adjust and do better. And, you know, I'd love to go back again. Yeah. Um, it, it took a little while. Um, but yeah, when, when I was over there, I thought that was the end of the road. And, um, it took a little bit when I got back to the States to like really get that motivation to like want to keep pursuing that. This kind of stems into something else I wanted to chat about, which is the mental side or the mental piece. Um, as a junior, you know, you're really, I mean, like being 19 years old or mm-hmm. 20, even 20, it's, you haven't really gone through too much in life. So you kind of need to be at this mental point where you, um, basically can handle getting slammed into a wall or just getting beat down for what, you know, if you're going for a month, mm-hmm. that's a lot. And it's that's, lot, that's yeah. difficult. So do you feel like you need to be of a particular mind to be able to handle that? Or like, how do you? Yeah, I mean, to, to, to be able to handle it. And I saw it so many times going um, over to Europe and stuff as like a, a junior U23 where, you know, you show up um, at the national team house and like a lot of the kids don't know how to do their own laundry. Yeah. A yeah. lot of the kids don't know you know, how, how to cook. A lot of the kids don't really know how to take care of themselves, um, off the bike. Um, and that's huge. And that's, that's like, you know, kind of just having that, that mindset of, um, you know, I don't know how to like having that mindset of, you know, being basically being able to be independent and taking care of yourself, being more mature. Yeah. Um, that's, that's huge. I mean, I, I saw a lot of really talented riders in the U S that then they go over there and, you know, they don't have everything, um, put in, in front of them where, and that's a huge difference where like as an American going to Europe, you know, you're, you know, eight hours ahead of America. You can't talk to your friends back then too. We only had texting. I think Facebook was out then. Um, there's no Instagram. There's no, you know, I think maybe there was Skype back then. Yeah. Um, 
but it, 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 it's hard. It's, it's being independent. It's being mature. It's, it's being able to handle being away from like your family, like your girlfriend, stuff like that. Um, cause that's, that can be taxing. Yeah. I mean, even, even when you're a professional, it's, it's taxing being over there. Um, you know, out of your comfort zone, you're always out of your comfort zone because the language is different. The food is different. Like you're not in your own bed. You can't go home to your family. And so that's huge. So yeah, basically just being more mature, being able to handle that stuff will, you know, make a huge difference Yeah, racing over there. Yeah. I've been trying to prep my athletes on just the fact that, and this applies to American bike racing too, but to a lesser extent, but everything adds up. Like all of life will mm-hmm. add up and play into whether or not you're homesick in a week or you're homesick in a month. And that's yeah. like, that can be food, that can be culture, that can be, um, just everything. Yeah. And it's difficult because it's how do you uh, minimize that mm-hmm. and how do you expect that? You know, some people bring peanut butter or some people, um, you know, just either embrace cultures differently mm-hmm. and language barriers and stuff like that. Um, do you, did you have things that you did when you were young to like make it more comfortable for you or just to know what to expect? When I first went over as a junior, no, I didn't, I didn't really bring anything. I brought like a laptop that I had like the wrong like adapter for. So <laughs> yes. it like fried my laptop within like, you know, a week of being there. So I like already was down a laptop. I had like a little flip phone with like, um, I couldn't text anyone. I couldn't uh, call. I'd like use one of my roommates like phone to like call back home. Like I was not prepared at all. Like I, I didn't, I'd never been out of the country. Um, I was not, you know, I was, I was so excited to go over, but I didn't bring anything to prepare for that. Like I didn't realize like, Oh, a month in Europe, that sounds like, so like awesome. Like it's going to be this awesome time. Then you get over there and you're like, you know, it's, it's, it, it can get kind of lonely and it, it just, you know, it, it gets tough and I didn't bring anything over, um, yeah, yeah. to kind of deal with that stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean the, just also the, the bike racing lifestyle, like it's one thing to go to Europe with your family mm-hmm. or, you know, even on your own and just to have an itinerary of what you're going to be doing and see all this cool stuff. Yeah. That's like in bike racing. Like you go there, you, you do the, the stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're done. Um, so yeah, in that way, it gets it can get pretty taxing for yeah, sure. It definitely does. Um, all right. So then going, uh, I guess into the so you're into the U23s and you're continuing to get over there. Um, yeah. How did the, how did it change primarily from the juniors junior ranks to U23s? Um, I mean, it was a huge step up. The racing is so much harder. Um, but personally for myself, I think, especially, um, the, the biggest thing was probably working with a coach, mm-hmm. making sure, cause what I thought was the more hours you do, the better you are. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is, but the more hours you do, the better you are. So working with a coach, um, who I had a, a great junior and U23 coach who really, really dialed it back on awesome. what I was training. And I mean, I'd even like, you know, add on 30 minutes, but turn off my garment yeah. just cause I wanted <laughs> to do more, but like, classic. I think he always knew I'd do a little bit more, so he'd take <laughs> it back that it. little yeah. bit more. Um, so, yeah, the step up to U23s was huge just from having structured training, um, knowing what to expect. That next time I went over, you know, I was more prepared. I brought, like, you know, a laptop and an adapter that wasn't going to fry <laughs> my computer. Yeah, like, I imagine that. you know, um, I was more comfortable over there. Yeah. Um, I knew, yeah, basically what to expect. Um, my fitness was so much better from just focusing on bike racing, yeah. which I don't think is like always the, the greatest, um, thing to just focus on one sport, especially when you're that young. I think it's, you know, you see it all the time now, like 
someone's really good at mountain bike racing, cross racing and road, and they'll do all of them. And right. I think that's great for when you're really young. Um, you just need to have the right balance right. of doing that and making sure you're taking periods of rest and time off of sports in between the, the different sports. Um, but yeah, for me, it was big dropping the ski racing um, and just focusing on the bike racing to go over there. So when I went back over there, um, the first race we did, I think, was um, in Italy. And uh, it was it was a really hard hilly race, and I'm not that great of a climber, but I was maybe like top 20 and the mm. only guy on the team to finish. And so Sick. already I was just like went from never finishing a race in Europe to being the only finisher on the team in the national team and was actually in the mix at the end. Yeah, so and you 23 too. Yeah. So yeah. it was a huge, huge step up for me. Yeah. And at that, that moment, I finally, I got the confidence. Um, and you know, it was like, I can do this. Like, you know, maybe, you know, there is a route in cycling for me that I can, you know, take to the next level. So that was huge. And that's, that's another big, big part of racing over in Europe when, when it's tough over there and you're not riding well, it just mentally, it tanks you. And when you're not in a good mental space and you're not riding well, you, it's, it's a, you just dig yourself into this hole. That's really, really hard yeah, to, to climb out, out of again. Yeah. So I started that trip off on a great note and I ended up having a, a great, I think I was over there. That was a long trip. I think I was there for three months, Jeez. um, racing all over Europe. And, um, I was, it was just day and night different from my first year over there. Is that the year that you won U23 Nats as well? No, that was my first year U23 when I went over there. Okay. Um, I won the uh, my last two years as an under-23 Nationals in 13 and 14. Okay, cool. Then we talked a little bit about Kermesses, um, going from Kermesses to doing stage races in Europe. Big difference there, I'm assuming? Um, it's a pretty big difference. I mean, when you're racing the um, like stage races and stuff like that, there are times there are a lot more relaxed and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the Kermesses, I mean, a lot of those Kermesses, it's just everything you have to finish the race yeah. where some of the stage races, it's, you know, you don't necessarily have to give everything to finish the race. And that's kind of like when I was over there as a U 23 and like my first two years, it was more just about finishing the races, which sounds kind of funny. No. Um, but it's just about finishing the races. And, uh, we did, we did a few stage races that year, um, but uh, yeah, I, I'd say the Kermesses and the the stage races and stuff are they're they're a bit different. Um, they're not um, the Kermesses are shorter, um, so that's that's a big big difference, and they can be a bit more relaxed in the stage races at times. Interesting. Are they um, with Kermesses being single day events? Were you? Like, did you race them differently? Was it more yeah, hands-on? Yeah, I'd say you'd race them differently. Um, they didn't take the Kermesses as serious as the stage races. But the, the Kermesses, the big big difference, especially in, like, one-day racing compared to stage racing, is um, it's a big mental aspect of it. Is in a Kermess when you're dropped or in a one-day when you're dropped, you usually just throw yeah, in the towel and right, you're done. You're right. like, I'm not coming back. I'm done. Yeah. In the stage races, there's a time limit and you got to finish. So a lot of times it's funny how it'll work. It'll split up and blow up and then I'll come back. Cause everyone, if you want to start the next day, you gotta, you gotta get to the finish line yeah. in that time limit. So that is a big difference. Cause yeah. And the Kermesses, um, a lot of times when I do those as a junior, you get dropped and you just pull out yeah. where in the stage races, you pull out and you don't start the next day. And 
Um, it's a big deal. Team won't be happy. With <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal. Um, all right. So you were, um, when you're doing these stage races, this is still all with the national team, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, when did you go over there with the trade team? The first time I went over with the trade team, uh, was in 2013 with, uh, it was bond tracker, um, which is the now action team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was in 2013 and that was actually kind of a mixed trip with the, uh, national team. Okay. We started out with the national team, um, and then ended the trip. Um, I think doing, I think it was just one race. It was just, uh, Liege, best on Liege U23. Cool. Um, and that was just with the trade team. Cool. And then, so the difference between, I guess, difference between going with the um, junior national team, U23 national team, and then going with your trade team. So support as far as what the team does for you, what the team um, covering logistics, uh, making things com- comfortable for you, where you're staying. Um, I guess even just the staff's knowledge of where they're at and what they're doing. Um, did you notice a difference in between all three of those levels? Or um, I mean, I would say the the trade team had more money, so we had better support. We had you know, more, we, we'd usually have like two swan years. Yeah. We'd usually have two mechanics. Um, typically the race hotels were about, about the same. Cause yeah. usually for those races, um, all the teams stay, stay one in like one or two hotels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd say racing with the trade team, they just had more money. So a little bit better support. Um, and I, I really believe like I was kind of in that transition couple of years with the national team where um they they really kind of changed the way they did things um at at first when i was with the national team we had um like a belgian director that was um not very understanding of an american being so far away from home racing in europe and they they changed that when i was a u23 they brought in uh mike sayers to the program which was a huge huge difference because having that american over there he understands what we're going through he'd done it himself Um, and so I was very, very fortunate to have him come onto the national team because it made it such, um, just a more comfortable environment and more positive environment. Um, some of the, the directors I had had in the past over there were pretty, pretty brutal. Uh, I mean, some of the, some of the guys, you know, they, they took, um, the, the criticism from the director pretty hard. And I mean, I, I know, um, and I wouldn't say any names, but I know quite a few riders over there that you could basically classify them as having an eating disorder. You yeah, know, yeah. I've had teammates where I've literally seen them throwing up after meals on purpose. I've, you know, seen people like just starving themselves during these like hard blocks of racing when it's like you need those those calories to perform and you can see it in the performance. They were, you know, skinnier then, but not riding well but the director kept telling them you got to lose weight. Yeah. That's why you're getting dropped. And so having Sayers come on board was huge. And I think we saw the difference in results on the national team then too. So that was huge. The trade teams over there too. We had great directors. We had Axel Merckx over there too, yeah. who is a Belgian, but says he's Canadian and Belgian now. And yeah. he was real understanding <laughs> of, um, you know, being young Americans over there racing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his, obviously his program is remarkable. Yeah. Um, yeah, it gives you a good insight into what the power of the coach and director has. And mm-hmm. um, that's not to be taken lightly. And, you know, that's something yeah. that, that can really make a big impact. And I've, you know, I've seen yeah. athletes leave the sport because of either circumstances like that or yeah. just results of um, 
do you feel like that's getting better or do you feel I like think that it's getting a lot, a lot better I cool. think the national team um, has done such a good job um, having you know both um, Nate Wilson and yeah. Mike Sayers have done and even Jim Miller too that all three of them have done such great things for the program yeah um, that I mean I just I'm so thankful that I was able to end my u23 career with those guys as directors because if it was uh the way it was before and a long time ago um i may have stopped bike racing at the time yeah um, it was just you know not the most positive environment and um you know when when the the directors you know real hard on the guys and sometimes you need to be a little hard on yeah, the riders balance. too to keep them in line there, yeah. there's definitely a balance um but i know a lot of guys that were you know from years above me that were better riders than I was and more talented than I was. And they just, you know, hung it up because it was just too much for them mentally. Yeah. And, yeah. um, it's, 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 yeah, it's a lot. It's hard to see over there sometimes. Yeah. I think U 23s are an interesting dynamic because, you know, I, I enjoy as a coach seeing longevity in sport becoming more of a concept and more of a, an important thing. Um, and that's something that's really being applied to juniors, which is great. Um, but then once you get into U23, it's a little bit of a, a tough thing to call because you have, you know, guys that are in U23, U25 winning the tour. Like you, mm -hmm. that's now not common practice to say, well, this is just a lead up, mm -hmm. um, which makes it difficult because yeah. then you have that dynamic of like, well, am I hard on them or am I, you know, allowing them yeah. to grow up a little bit more? And, and it totally depends on the person and needs mm -hmm. to be individualized. So, yeah, yeah I'd agree with that. It definitely needs to be individualized. And the U23s is definitely really, that's a, that's a tough four years because i mean some of those races that you do as a u23 there are guys there that are so good that could be world tour yeah and there's guys that are you're racing against that could win world tour races like yeah. they'll yeah. go straight from the u23s to the world tour and the first race they do they win yeah and it's it's crazy so it's it's a big i mean four years too you can develop so much in four years and some develop quicker and it's just you know it's a it's a big you know age group and it, yeah. it's tough yeah. And you have to progress quickly. There's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, okay. So then do you think that racing in Europe when you did, you know, at this point, it sounds like that, well, that's like your fourth stint, right? Fourth mm -hmm. or fifth. So then you came back and you seem to have some pretty good results on home soil. So did that, in what ways did that progress you in what ways did that help you dial in racing in america like on american roads i mean in the i mean first of all um i got really strong yeah from racing over there because um i mean there's some really really tough races in america um but the races there they're just they're harder all day typically um and not to say that american racing can't be hard all day i've done some races in the u.s that are you know some of the hardest races i've ever done um, but they're typically longer over there. Um, they're really, really hard. They're really technical. Um, so kind of what I brought back from those races as a U23 back to the States when I'd race in the U23s, like, like nationals, um, when I won those was a huge thing was fitness. Um, but mostly confidence, you know, you're, you're racing over in Europe, you're starting to do well in Europe, you're on a good team over there. Um, and you come back to the States and you just have this, this confidence, um, with you that is, is huge. You know, you're comfortable in the bunch. You're not wasting, um, energy, you know, nervous in the bunch. You're comfortable in the bunch. You can position well. Um, and you got that fitness to back that up. So, uh, that, that's, that's a lot that I brought back to the States when I started racing again in the States from Europe. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
I guess it makes sense when you take a 300, 400 person field Mm -hmm. on a technical tight, small road course. Um, and I usually like, depending on the race over there, it's kind of like a criterion where the, if the every lap it changed, like Mm -hmm. the course changed. Um, and when you get onto, um, most American courses, um, they're pretty predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty wide. It, it just it, yeah. yeah, instantly allows you to have more yeah. comfortability in a field like that. Yeah, and a lot of the races in the U.S., they're, they're so hard, but it's also like, you know, you look at, uh, say, Tour of the Gila. Yeah. You know the first stage, you know, how it's going to happen. It's, yeah. it's rare that yes. it's it's not like, you know, just the bunch comes together and then it's a, the fastest up the climb on the first day and, you know, the second stage is going to be a field sprint. And yep. the the crit will be a field sprint in the last days, you know, you know, just comes down to those big climbs. So they're pretty predictable. And in Europe, it's never, it's never predictable. Um, I mean, when you get to like the real big, you know, like world tour races and stuff in the classics, it can be more predictable. Um, but yeah, in some of those lower level, um, European races, especially in the U23s when everybody is fighting for a contract and wants to make that next step up. Yeah. It is never predictable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got so many guys uh, trying to prove themselves and then on courses that capitalize on that. So yeah. like they're, if it's a technical course uh, that doesn't just have three features to make their stand, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, <laughs> it adds up. Um, do you recommend that all riders find their way over to Europe if they can? Like, do you think that that'll benefit anyone and everyone? I mean, I think it has a benefit for everybody. And that goes back to like, you know, even the Kermesses, they're not made for a climber or a time trialist, but a climber in Europe, if you want to race in the world tour, um, you have, or even just at a high level in Europe and you're a climber, you can't start one of those climbs last wheel. No. So getting thrown into something like a Kermes, it's not the best race for you. It's not great for you but you learn how to position and right. you learn how to position for those climbs. Cause not just sprinters need to position climbers have to position too. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I would say Europe is always a good option, um, to, to improve. There's more racing. It's longer, it's harder. Um, if, if you can make it happen, I always think it's great. It's not in my opinion, the only route, but it's definitely, um, a good route to improve, um, your, yourself in racing. Yeah. I think the, what I've noticed with riders going to Europe is they, um, a lot of people think, well, well, I just need one year to kind of like get used to it. Mm -hmm. But you also just need to be okay with having different goals and going over there with different mindsets and like saying, okay, well, I'm maybe my first goal is just to finish. And that's, that's the primary number one. And when you're coming from, let's say you're one of the better guys in the U S and you're maybe winning, nationals you're winning vos like that and then you go over um and and more or less if you're doing that you can dictate the race Mm -hmm. here um but when you go to europe that's not necessarily what you can do so that's a hard it's a hard pill sometimes yeah yeah Yeah, it's 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 definitely it's difficult and i would say yeah you kind of got to go over with an open open mind and um not really have too many expectations if it's your first trip because i've seen many riders go from you know winning they they can win any stage of any stage race in the u.s redlands gila joe martin and then they go to europe and they can't finish a race right and they're you know they just get really down and upset because i should be winning over here because i can win over there or at least finish here but you know they can't and so it's just kind of 
it's a it's another learning curve over there it's it's a it's the same sport but it's a different sport over there um and so yeah you kind of got to go in with an open mind if you can win in the u.s doesn't mean you can't you can win there if you're not that great here i always was my best results were over in europe i didn't race as well over here the style of racing i just was better suited over there yeah um so it's just it's it's different yeah it's funny that looking through um yesterday and today like your results it was pretty like you've had some really stellar results mm. but they've all been out of america mm. um i mean i was at augusta when you won um so that was that course that was a breakaway right well so augusta i was actually second oh it was i won uh two years uh both in madison the same oh cool okay yeah so it was uh i think it was rob bush yeah yeah yeah. uh, i raced against uh, rob was a teammate on mary yeah yeah yeah. that was a breakaway yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, that was that and that was a more similar kind of i mean belgian type course yeah minus the technical part yeah and then you also add in it was like i think it was like 110 degrees yeah and like 90% 90% humidity yeah, in that race. So. But it was a, that short, punchy kind of kind of course. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And then Augusta, or sorry, um, Madison, that was a climber's course. How did that play out then? Um, so yeah, that's that's what I won. Both years I went there. Um, and that was, I mean, especially back then, that was like the perfect course for me. Huh, it was just uh, short hills were kind of my strength. Yeah. Um, I could do, you know, uh, one, two, three K climb, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. really, really well. And it was actually, that was a pretty technical course too, is small roads. Yeah. Um, descent pretty twisty. Cool. The descent was pretty <laughs> gnarly. Um, <laughs> and so that was actually, I mean, if I, I, I'd raced nationals since I was 12, it started at park city in 2005, oh, cool. I think. So cool. I raced every nationals, um, from then until probably a couple of years ago, but, um, yeah, that, that was, of all the nationals I've ever done, those were the, the one course that was, like, perfectly suited for me. And it was just, it was technical, it was short hills, it was hard the entire day. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, those were perfect courses for me. That's yeah. awesome. Cool. Culture. I kind of wanted to touch on culture a little bit. What I noticed when I was in Europe racing was the, the culture was very evident mm-hmm. when you were kind of dealing with a rider or around a rider or even just being in a race that was predominantly a particular culture it really showed in mm-hmm. how the culture was either or how the race was raced or how, um, what was expected during the race. Um, what was, so you've been literally all over the globe racing. What kind of was your favorite, I guess, even just continent to race on? Where was that region? What was, what kind of called to you and why? Um, I mean, of all the places I've raced, my, my favorite place to race was honestly, well, uh, I loved racing in Australia. It was easy to get around. It was, you know, it's very similar yeah. to the States. It's, everyone speaks English. Super, you know, beautiful place. Awesome racing. I loved racing there, but I'd have to say my favorite place was Belgium. Huh. It's just like, it is, you know, the cycling central of the world. It's, it's you know, the hotbed for cycling. Um, the courses suited me the best. I loved racing in, you know, pretty bad conditions it's hmm. just always been my thing the rain and the wind yeah, and yeah. <laughs> all that stuff um i love the cobbles all that stuff so belgium was always my favorite place to race you know you do even as a junior you go out and do a kermesse and most of the the course is lined with fans for 17 18 year old kids racing and so i always loved belgium it was yeah, like awesome. crazy fans it's just the whole culture of it like you know 
you're racing on like some of the same like cobble climbs as like, you know, they do in like Flanders and yeah. stuff like that. So I definitely say Belgium was my favorite, favorite place to, to race. And, um, even when I went over there on, on UHC, just, it was, you know, everyone knew who the team was. You, you go to, you know, races in the States, nobody really knows yeah, who the no. team is. And we were this tiny American team over in Belgium, but people still knew what we, what we were and like the races we were doing. That's and, awesome. you know, there's, there's, you know, a race every weekend that everybody in Belgium knows about. It's, yeah. it's their sport. And so I loved racing there. That's so cool. Actually. So that reminds me your nickname polar bear. Um, so you're good at racing in many conditions. Um, and I have a couple memories with racing against you that I remember. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh crap. That's why. <laughs> um, but where did that come from? Who came up with it? And yeah, why don't you mention the story behind that? Um, I'm curious. <laughs> polar bear. I think, um, that, I've been called that for quite a while. I think that started, um, I was always called like a bear, just always a bear. Maybe it's the way I'm built, but it was always just, you know, from ski racing or, you know, racing as a junior, just mm-hmm. always resembled a bear yeah. in some, some way I, I, I can get pretty upset in races and, you know, mean and, um, <laughs> a bigger, you know, not like a tall guy, just a thicker guy. And so, um, I was always called a bear. I think the polar bear thing started on, uh, I think UHC. Okay. Um, I think it was, a. I moved over, we all had to move over to Europe my first year on UHC cause we had a, a base out of, out of Europe. Um, and everybody went to Girona. Um, that's kind of like, you know, that's where all English speaking yeah, professionals go. Yeah. Um, even, you know, I think even a lot of Northern Europeans will go there too. Yeah. Um, but I loved Belgium. And so I chose to go to Belgium in February and live there. <laughs> I found an old, an old uh, teammate of mine, um, had you know some friends there that had a house so um myself and john murphy and uh danny summerhill yeah i convinced them they didn't have anywhere to go and they're like oh belgium that sounds all right so got a place in belgium and the first um three months i think we only raced in um northern europe in belgium holland and northern france and it was a pretty cold year and i just <laughs> I, I do really well in, in the cold. I don't need a lot of clothing in the cold. Huh. Um, it's rare that I ever will wear, um, full fingered gloves or gloves at all. Um, I just, it's not, you know, I don't want, I, I just don't want to, and I don't, my hands just won't get cold. Um, and so <laughs> it's, it started over in Belgium there just cause we do these like long, like 200 K races in the rain and stuff. And I just have like a shorts and a, and you know, <laughs> yeah. Jersey on and, um, it started over there and then I think where it really, uh, kind of, uh, stuck was in 2000, 2016, we did the tour of Alberta and the second stage, I will never forget it. It started at I think 7,000 feet wow. and it was just, um, basically downhill all day for like 200 K it was like downhill and just like these like little rollers along the way. And it started out, I mean, freezing temperatures. Like I remember like lining up next to someone where you could not see any skin on him, maybe <laughs> just like the nose sticking out of like, his like, you know, buff and like glasses. Um, and I started with just arm warmers on. And as soon as the neutral ended, I dropped my arm warmers cause I was like, all right, time to race. And like, no I don't, way. I don't need these anymore. Oh, that's great. And, um, I got in a break maybe 10 K into the race. Um, 
and it started raining and i think it was maybe were you there that year i wasn't i remember uh, watching that on I tv think it was, and being yeah. super stoked it was, I wasn't it was there. like under under 40 degrees and raining the entire yeah, day the whole race yeah. almost like every race. stage yeah. was just awful the whole, the whole race and yeah. um yeah i think after winning that stage just basically um just in shorts and t-shirt no arm warmers <laughs> no base layer no nothing um and everyone yeah. else was just frozen at the end i think that's kind of where it stuck but i mean that was literally the greatest course and yeah, weather for conditions yeah. for me in yeah. the world that never happened ever again yeah. downhill for 200k and you know freezing rain so <laughs> it kind of stuck after that yeah <laughs> i have my i think my biggest i have a few but my biggest distinct memory was um a couple years ago you're on uhc um it was tour de Beaux, and it was oh, yeah. the the gantic stage and it was pouring rain for like the first I don't know, basically the whole stage. And it was a break went pretty large and it was you and Danny oh, yeah. Eaton yep. pulling the break back. And I would, I sat behind your guys' train, basically you for what seemed like a hundred something K. It's a long day. <laughs> and it was basically like, I talked to Danny after the stage and he's like, yeah, I was Tanner's b- bottle boy the whole stage. <laughs> that, was a, that was a big day. Yeah, but I, but I remember you being in a skin yeah. suit and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> and I had like a jacket, rain jacket, yeah, yeah gloves, the whole nine yards. Yeah, I don't know if it it's came impressive. from growing up ski racing or what it was. Yeah, but, um, yeah, just hey, always more legs felt better when it was cold, or yeah, they didn't feel as bad as everybody else's. So hey, I don't know that's what a it huge, was. that's a huge mental thing. Yeah, that's great. Talk to me about the classics that you have done. So full on. Um, I guess we're skipping over U twenty three, going into when you're professional. Mm-hmm. Um, how were they? What was the experience like? What was the difference? I mean, those are the big boys. Those are like what people dream of doing. Um, yeah. How yeah. Were so, they? I mean, I was extremely lucky, first of all, just to be able to start those races um, and to be able to ride with, you know, United Healthcare in its peak um, yeah. of the team. Um, so, yeah, I went from Bissell. I had, you know, great last two years um, and was lucky enough to get on a spot on United Healthcare. Um, we started out, yeah, I moved to Belgium, um, that, that winter, um, and knew, you know, we had, we kind of had our own little classics team. We had about 10 guys for it. And the big goal was, was Roubaix and everybody wanted to do that. We did a couple other smaller, like semi-classics. We did, you know, uh, Dwarves, Dwarf, uh, West of Lander. And we did, uh, like, uh, Samine, we did, uh, Shell de Priest. Yeah. A couple of these pretty big, big races, pretty yeah. big races. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's, you know, the step up to junior is big or junior to U23 is big, but the step up to professional is massive. You know, I think the longest race I did as a U23 was, you know, four and a half hours and maybe 100 and I think the longest they they do in the U23 is 180K. Yeah. And then adding another hour plus of racing on top of that, um, and then jumping up that level is yeah, is really really tough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I started that that year off. Um, probably to this day the best season I ever had. Um, I was top ten in I think three different uh, like semi classics over there. Dang. Um, started off just uh, this amazing race. They like put me on the the Roubaix roster, and I was just so excited for it. Yeah. Um, but I. I made a lot of mistakes that year and I just, um, was not, uh, you know, 
recovering basically from these races and was being told I needed to train on top of these races to be ready for Perry Roubaix. Um, going into Roubaix, you know, I thought I have a chance to not only finish this, but I think I can make like, you know, maybe the third group on the road in these races. I, I, you know, maybe a little naive, but I thought I would do, you know, have a pretty good showing going into Roubaix based off of some of the results I had, um, you know, a month or so before, yeah. um, Perry Roubaix. Um, but it was a, a massive eye opener that whole season. Um, and it, 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 it probably, um, that was one year that really kind of, um, probably I learned the most from out of my entire career hmm. was just how important rest and recovering is and how, um, how important balance is and how, how important, things you do off the bike are, um, to, you know, be better yeah. in bike racing. And so basically it was, uh, we did a long block. It started in the end of February, um, and ended with Perry Roubaix. And I think about two weeks before Perry Roubaix started, um, I started to get a little bit sick, mm. took a couple days off. Um, but then it was just full on racing and those races going from U23 to professional, I think I finished pretty much every race, but every race is over 200 K and, and then you put, you know, then sometimes you got a 20 K neutral in it. So it's close to 220 K yeah. stage every day. And it's everything you got to finish that. And you're racing. I mean, and I think that's the toughest kind of racing there is because you do one day is it's on a stage race, but every, every day it's just everything you got to finish. And you do that five times a week. You know, you race, you race, Tuesday, Wednesday, you get Thursday off, you got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all one days. And sometimes these teams are swapping in, in Rice, riders. So yeah. every race you got fresh, fresh riders yeah. and you're not always fresh. So by the time I got to Perry Roubaix, um, I had just finished um, Sheldon Priest on Wednesday, the, sun, the Wednesday before Roubaix started. And in that race, I got in the early break. So I was in the break the entire oh. day till 5K to go. And then we did two days of Perry Roubaix recon, which is. I mean, you know, yeah, three hour days of riding right. on those cobbles, right. you're wrecked. So I, I was so excited to race Perry Roubaix and it was like, you know, I, there were so many different emotions, just like finally, like that was of any bike race in the world I could do. I'd take that over the tour wow. and I was right. so many emotions, but on the start line, I'll never forget. I was just like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of tired. I'm screwed. Like this is not uh, going to go so well. Uh, um, and so just going into it, it was like my dream race. And I just was, um, I was just young. I didn't know my body that well. Um, and that year I really feel like I learned a lot about myself and I, if I could go back and redo it, I would, but, um, I just started off on a bad foot. I was just tired starting the race. Um, I crashed in, uh, section Wellers, the section right before Arenberg, yeah, um, and wow. broke my bike. Um, took me a while to get a bike. Um, chase 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 but as soon as you hit Arenberg, that's that's the first big section in in Roubaix where it splits up yeah and if you're not with the group then you you're, don't come back done. and yeah. um finish the race um out of time limit finish the race um but never could come back from that crash and um and that that that's kind of a common theme over there is um I never crashed that trip until Roubaix, until Roubaix. um but as soon as you start getting tired and you start, you know, your fitness starts to go away is when things like that happen. And it was a stupid mistake that I crashed in. I just entered the section too far back and was fighting 
for a position that I didn't need to fight for because yeah. I was so far back and just ended in a crash. And um, it was an amazing experience. But um, yeah, I just, I guess, you know, my first year professional, I didn't really have a great mentor um, on the team to kind of, you know, help me um, navigate my first professional year over there. Yeah. And it really did end, end pretty poorly. And that kind of set up the rest of um, my season um, pretty poorly because I just never was able to bounce back because, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, take a couple of days off and start training again because you got this next race. And it was a, the theme for the next, you know, almost two years was um, just, you know, I was overtrained yeah. and I was just tired and training on when you're tired, you don't get better. No. Even when you take a break, you just, you don't get better. And so um, if I could go back, I would have, you know, done that all, all differently. Um, cause that really, really could have been, um, a career making race for myself. And it was just a lot of mistakes that, um, if I could go back, I would, I would change a lot about what I did. I think that what I'm constantly seeing with guys that go over to Europe, you know, even if it's their third or fourth time, you have the ability to race and this is cross riders as well. Mm-hmm. Like you have the ability to race almost every day of the week yeah. and it's full on, full on racing. And that can stem from, you know, kermesses to pro kermesses to stage races mm-hmm. and, um, fighting athletes to yeah. you know keep that together is really difficult. Cause your inkling is like, wow, this is amazing. I, I got to do what I can, anything. And it's some, you know, like to a certain extent, I would imagine you didn't yeah. necessarily have full reign over races you were required to do but that it's important to know when you're recovering and when you're not yeah. and it adds up fast yeah, and, and, and that year there were times i could have sat out races okay um but it was it was one of those things where like if i i felt like if i had voluntarily said like you know take me off this race put put this guy in right um i felt like i was losing an opportunity and i'd uh, be taken off of the roubaix roster, um, roster but yeah. a lot of mistakes that i made that year um and I think, um, honestly, from just a coaching standpoint was, um, you know, training for, for a race like Roubaix, it is, you know, six and a half hour long race. And so you feel like you got to train six and a half, seven hours for that, that race while you're doing these other 200 K races. So like sometimes we'd, you know, ride to a race that's 200 K and ride home from it. And it's like a lot of the guys wouldn't even finish the race, um, or you'd finish it and you're just completely dead but then you think you got to train on top of it and um a lot of um what i i noticed from that year was not only the physical stress that you put on your body in those races the mental stress is um it's unreal and i remember um i was uh living near tyler ferrar at the time and he he'd always tell me and i i never really like i kind of blew it off. I was, I was young and I was stupid, but he'd always tell me like how big the mental part of racing is and how draining it will be. And he's like, you know, you have to recover your head from these races or you're going to, you're going to tank. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really listen to him that well. And it's true. The, the amount of, um, physical stress you put on your body on top of the mental stress of, you know, fighting for a spot for, you know, a dream race, you know, you're, you're nervous the whole race because you want to be in the right position. You don't want to crash. You want to do well. You know, you're nervous before the race. You're, yeah. you know, after the race, you could be really down and upset 
and or you could be you had the best race ever and you're on a high and all these emotions good or or bad it just adds up yeah um and then you throw training on top of that and it just completely you know ended my season basically i i raced the rest of the year but i had nothing nothing to show for the rest of the year because i just never recovered and i think honestly it took me about two years to really kind of climb out of that yeah. that hole and um i think it's yeah it's 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 huge just the the whole you know there's there's two stressors and i believe and it's it's the physical and the mental stress and the mental stress has just a, the amount of impact as the physical stress on your body oh yeah um and it, it, that that was huge yeah. that was huge so man um well time limit aside and i guess like disappointment aside what was it like finishing that race oh i mean i, I had like tears in my eyes my parents yeah. flew over they were in Arnberg. they saw me like you know coming in behind the field they were in the velodrome still waiting like everyone was still in the velodrome yeah we were maybe five minutes or so out of time limit yeah i came in with another bunch that i had uh crashed with in that sector okay um but i mean i'd like just it was it was surreal coming into the, yeah. the velodrome and doing my lap and a half and like wow. my parents are there <laughs> like everybody is still there like it was um it was pretty amazing and i didn't even know i was out of time limit when i came right. into the velodrome like i was just like oh my god like you know I crashed, but like I finished, did it, I yeah. finished through Bay and, um, it even turned out I had, um, torn my shoulder too No way. in, in the crash. Wow. And, um, so, and that was early on, we still had, you know, 120 K to go from that point. Right. So just, there was a lot of emotions, you know, with, you know, family being there, yeah. finishing my first, you know, big classic, like we'd done shell to priest a couple of days before, which was huge. But like, yeah. this was the one race that I'd known about since I was 10 years old and like, watched videos of yeah. on the trainer, you yeah. know, since I was like 10 years old. So, um, that was, I mean, probably still the highlight of my, my career is finishing that race. Dude. I, I think that's so yeah. badass personally. Um, what are the, I think anyone that's been over to Europe has ridden cobbles. What is Roubaix cobbles like at the end of that race what how do you feel what is the rest of your body feeling oh, it is <laughs> i mean my hands um i could not move my hands oh. afterwards i had i luckily um didn't have the blisters that a lot of the guys had wow. after the races um i had blisters on my hands but like i mean some guys hands were just completely raw yeah. after that race um God. but your whole body is just shaking all day and those those cobbles they're different than the Belgian cobbles. Yeah, yeah. They have they're they're basically used for tractor roads. So they have these really big um, crowns on them that you can't quite see on TV that well. It's basically, you know, just a single track lane in the middle of the cobbles, and then it's just a steep drop off from the side. So, and luckily when I did it, it it, it was for the most part dry. dry yeah. It rained the day before, and so some of the section sections in the the trees were wet. Um, but pretty much even in, in the dry, if you're on top of that crown and you get knocked off the crown and you're on the side, a lot of the times you're, unless you're a great bike handler, you, you don't, you down. can't hold it up yeah, yeah. and you can, you can ride the gutters and stuff, which is more dirt, but it's right. a lot of times, you know, some of those stones are sticking into it or the stones, you know, it's a, it's not a, a direct route. Um, and there's a lot of like thorns and stuff over there. Yeah. So it's a risk. It's, it's a, it's a risk. Um, and riding on the, the, the gutters there, it's, um, 
that's that's it's faster yeah. but it's a risk and that's kind of like when you're really hurting you you go to you the go gutter to but interesting it, it's hard it's technical um and you don't really realize it from tv but there's a decent amount of elevation gain yeah oh totally in in roubaix yeah that you, you you think it's just a flat race but it's like a lot of those sectors are either up yeah but even scarier they're down oh. and they're fast um, and yeah, especially it, it's easier to ride them when you're going fast, of course, but yeah. you know, you, you hit some of those sectors and you're 10 minutes off the back and you're, you're just crawling. <laughs> you're uh. just, everything you got, you're just getting bounced around. Dang, it's man, hard. That is so gnarly. I, I'll never forget to, we were pre-riding the course and our, our team owner at the time came over just for that one race. And he was there, you know, checking out some of the sectors before we had rode them. And he's like, so do you guys have to dismount and run across these sectors ever? <laughs> it was, it's, it's, you see them on TV and then you see them in real life and it's a totally yeah, different totally. road. Man. Dude, I, I'm so impressed. I've done very few races, luckily, on cobbles. Yeah. And I'm super glad because I was just thrown all over the place. I mean, I, I loved racing on them. I thought it was, yeah. it was, it's another kind of race, it, but yeah. it's scary. And a lot of the Roubaix ones, um, a lot of cobble races, you know, you'll you'll turn onto the cobbles. Yeah. You'll be on a big road and you'll turn onto it, so you hit it with low speed. But some of those Roubaix um, cobble sections, you hit straight on from a road, <laughs> so you'll be going. You know, I, I think Arnberg, it's got like a set of train tracks, like diagonal yeah. train yeah. tracks, straight onto the road, so you'll you'll hit it at sixty k an hour, <laughs> and you know you you puncture on that, and yeah, you're it doesn't matter who you are, you'll you'll probably crash. Yeah, God, that's oh man, what a race. You know, all this time we've, we've talked about um, your past, kind of your past races, where you came from, what your experience is. Um, so I'd like to take a little bit of time just to like, what's next for you? What, what are what does 2020 bring? Or even now with things going on, what does 2021 bring? Um, yeah, what's next? So um, going forward now, last year, 2019 was my last uh, professional year racing. Um, now I am working as a cycling coach, um, working with a company out of Utah. Um, but I'm still racing. Um, I'm racing for a Utah, uh, based team and well, I mean, now it's 2020 and this podcast will come out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, Everyone yeah, yeah. knows Corona is a big thing. Yep, so, yep. um, my plans were to race, uh, gravel and road. Um, the big goals of my season were going to be kind of these early stage races, Joe Martin, um, and Gila, yeah. and then hopefully get that, uh, spot into, uh, pro nationals. Yeah. yeah. Um, not sure if that's going to happen now with everything that's going on in the world. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, but then I also have a couple races that I'm still hoping will happen. Um, I've got that rift, the race, the rift race in Iceland. Yeah, in, cool. In July, and that'll be so cool. So that would be that'd be a big one. I got another gravel race in in Vermont in August, the Vermont Overland. Yeah, and then um, kind of yet see how the how the year goes. And um, I'm addicted to racing. I can't. I can't seem to stop. Um, I would like to continue racing, whether that's, you know, at, you know, just a professional level or whether I'm working, you know, a day job and racing on the weekends. Um, I think I want to give uh, cyclocross a crack. No way. Cool. Um, cool. This fall. So that's kind of my plans. Work on coaching. Um, I've been working with like the, the Boulder Junior yeah, uh, mountain bike team yeah. here. So yeah. I really want to stay involved in the sport. I want to um, give back all the knowledge that I have now to kind of the younger generation, um, coming up. Um, cause yeah, I mean, I, I made so many mistakes in my career and I feel like I can help a lot of the, uh, younger guys coming up 
not make those mistakes. And yeah. it's like when I was younger, if I, I wish now that I had a great mentor telling me, you know, the things I know now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd like to keep racing. I like to stay in the sport, work with younger athletes and help them kind of navigate their way, um, through the sport and in the direction they want to go, whether that's, you know, professional or, you know, they want to race for fun, um, you know, and helping them enjoy the sport or, you know, enjoy the sport and take it to the next level. Yeah. Well, I think it's huge. We need more people that basically have the experience that you have kind of, I guess, staying around in that capacity. You, mm -hmm. see, you see a lot of high level athletes kind of maybe disappear or remote themselves to pretty um i guess like high paying individuals and then that doesn't necessarily trickle down as much as it could and i think yeah. it's pretty cool that you're doing what you're doing yeah thanks yeah i just love the sport and i just you know it's addicted to it i got that bug and i just you know can't let it go yeah <laughs> no, <they're laughs> i'll still be that. around in the sport some way or another sweet well hopefully things in this world kind of simmer down a bit um that would be wonderful and then we can actually race bikes and Everyone can race bikes, but be nice. yeah, but I guess we'll just go for a ride otherwise, but thank you again. This was a solid, you know, hour plus of conversation, which is great. Um, and hopefully y'all, um, got some good insight from Tanner and his experiences. Um, are you going to miss going to Europe? Yes. I mean, I miss it. I was watching those earlier races, um, at Newsblad and, uh, yeah. KBK and, yeah. uh, I miss it. I mean, it would be. Yeah, I'd I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss it. I love, I just love everything about racing over there and and those races. They got you know so much history and they're they're great races and I'll, I'll definitely miss racing over there. Cool, cool. All right, guys, thank you for listening. Um, and yeah, have a great week.